Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am Doug Sweeney here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. And today on the show, we have a good friend of mine, a colleague who keeps his office here at Beeson Divinity School, a Beeson Advisory Board member, and starting next year, an adjunct professor here at Beeson. And I'm just talking about one person here who plays all these roles. He's here to talk about his two latest books, as well as the course he'll be teaching for us in January. I have known today's guest for many years. I couldn't tell you exactly how many. Maybe he'll tell us later. I could. I think I first met him as he was about to graduate from Northwestern University and was thinking about seminary. Since then, I think he took a class of mine back in the day. I've admired his many writings and his work for the Gospel Coalition, so I couldn't be more happy to have him on the show. Before Kristen gets us started, let me thank you for listening to the podcast every week. We love hearing from you, so please drop us a line. Let us know how God has used a particular episode to encourage or to bless you, or let us know if you have feedback or ideas for future episodes. You can email me at dsweeney at samford.edu, and you can email Kristen Padilla at kpadilla, K-P-A-D-I-L-L-A, at samford.edu. And speaking of Kristen Padilla, why don't we turn things over to her and ask her if she will introduce today's guest. Sure will. Hello, everyone. We are glad to have Mr. Colin Hansen with us on the show today. Colin is Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief for the Gospel Coalition, one of the most read Christian websites in the world, and host of the acclaimed Gospel Bound podcast. He travels the world promoting gospel-centered ministry for the next generation, and he lives right here in Birmingham, Alabama, and serves on our advisory board Welcome, Colin, to the Beeson Podcast. Oh, thanks, Kristen. I'm excited. Excited to be back. Yeah, you know, I think this is the first time that Doug and I have interviewed you, but before that, you were on the show quite often with Dr. George when he was host, (laughs) and I remember him saying, every time we had you on the show, you write a book a minute, and it really does seem that way. (laughs) He should talk, of all people. (laughs) Well, we have you back on the show to talk about your two newest books. But before we do, and for those few people who don't know who you are, how about you introduce yourself and then catch us up to speed about what life and ministry has looked like since the pandemic? Yeah, so you've already said I, my day job, I'm, I work as the vice president of content, editor-in-chief for the Gospel Coalition. Usually when I say that to people, they say, is that a full-time job? And I said, yeah, it, I'm, unbelievably, it actually is. You know, internet uh, publishing <laughs> keeps you keeps you employed. And uh, I've been doing that since 2010, recently promoted into that position. But in many ways, it sort of makes official what I've been doing for a long time, which is when you don't like something that we do content-wise of the Gospel Coalition, you can usually blame me. Uh, for that, which, uh, you know, plenty of people do. So we try to do, we've got a great team. It's all, all over the world. And it's really my my greatest professional privilege to be able to work with those editors and, and council members and 
all those sorts of different folks. And I get to do that from anywhere. And I choose to do that from just a, living a few minutes away from Beeson and hanging out here on the third floor um, at Beeson Divinity School. So that's the base. I mean, I guess you also asked about life in the last year. My goodness. I mean, since I was already digitally native, I mean, in terms of my work, it really wasn't a big disruption, except for the fact that we had 12,000 women signed up for our women's conference last June and couldn't go ahead with that. We postponed that. And um, so that was the major change. You mentioned that I typically travel about oh, a third of the time, um, especially in the spring and the fall. You know, didn't do any of that. And so I guess while I was, um, I, I guess I had a lot of spare time. So started two podcasts, uh, wrote a couple of books, <laughs> wife and I are having another baby. I mean, it was, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Uh, so I, yeah, it was a, it was a busy time. I'm ready for things to get a lot closer to normal. And I think they're getting there, but um, tried to be, tried to be productive in the last, in the last year. I think Colin, that the, the job title that Kristen used to announce you with is different. It's new, right? You've been promoted. It is. Yeah. That, that was in January. Really. We've, we've had a, a major shift at the gospel coalition because our founder, of course, uh, one of your longtime colleagues, Doug mm-hmm. and, and Don Carson as our president had stepped down. Uh, he's at retirement age. And so we searched for, Another one of your, you know, I don't can't remember, was Julius Kim a student of yours? He was. Okay, there you are. So Julius Kim from Westminster Seminary, California, came in as our new president. And so part of what uh, what Julius had done was change our organization. We have two vice presidents, Jeff Jew, formerly of West uh, Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, is our operations uh, vice president. And then I serve as the content vice president and editor-in-chief. And so... Yeah, it's really when you when you think about podcasts, videos, conferences, books, articles, journals, and things like that that we produce, sort of my job to keep those things in alignment with our original vision, our theological vision of ministry, our confessional statement, and try to try to keep them aligned and keep them coherent uh, with staff all over the world who are who are executing on that vision. And again, it's a fun thing I've been able to build in some ways from scratch uh, since right after I graduated from Trinity in, in 2010 and, um, and just, yeah, so it is, it is a change, a change in title for sure, but a change in responsibility is not quite, uh, not quite as much. Well, we want to talk to you about your two new books and the first one we want to talk to you about uh, has recently published by the time this episode airs and it's called gospel bound living with resolute hope in an anxious age. What a wonderful subtitle. Um, he, you co-wrote that book uh, with Sarah Zalistra. What is Gospel Bound about? Who is it for? And what led you to write the book? Oh, great question, Kristen. It's pretty simple. The thesis is we've got to get back to the gospel so we can move forward together. It's as simple as that. We've got to get back to the gospel so we can move forward together. We conceived the book together really in 2019. So we did not anticipate the pandemic. We did not anticipate all of the difficulties that we faced last year, though. I suppose the political dimensions we did anticipate, but it wasn't so much the divisions in the churches, but really a lot of the 
transforming change that's come upon this country politically, especially as it applies to religion. And so the basic idea behind the book was when everything is swirling around you, when everything seems to be in flux, when everything is changing, what can keep you grounded? What can keep you steadfast in the storm? And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we did, uh, Sarah especially is, is gifted at this, is telling people's stories, Christians around the world who are doing that. They're bound to the gospel so that those winds of change don't blow them over, but also they're bounding forward in hope because they trust in the promises of God. So we just think, Kristen, that we see so much evidence of discouragement in the church. And a lot of that, unfortunately, it's true, it's real, but it's not the full story if you know where to look. And Doug, I, I think this is you know, something that I, I learned in the context of learning from you about Jonathan Edwards, but really what's inspired my whole journalistic career is something that I read from Edwards. It was actually when I was writing at Trinity about the origins of the Christian history periodical, the first religious periodical in the United States. I think it was 1743 to 1745, a new light publication, Thomas Prince Sr. and Jr. there in Boston. Well, it was Jonathan Edwards' vision that inspired that publication because one of the things he encouraged them to do was to say, news of revival in one place, when spread broadly, carries revival to other places. And I thought, if they could do that with a religious periodical in 1743 in the First Great Awakening, can't we do that even better with the Internet today? And can't we do that with books still today? So Gospel Bound Kristen is for anybody who wants good news of what God is doing around the world so that they can have a, I mean, who doesn't need a morale boost these days <laughs> about what God is doing? And who doesn't need a model of what it looks like to be faithful in living out that that hopeful vision in a changing climate and changing circumstances. So we're hoping people will be encouraged by the book. I know we've been encouraged. Let's just say it was a really good way to spend our time in 2020 to be talking with and writing about Christians who are just inspiring us with how they serve God, how they love their neighbors. It's just been a really fun project to work on with Sarah. And you did some research with her over the course of a few years, if I'm not mistaken, where yes. you investigated character traits of a gospel-bound believer. Uh, you talk about sacrificial, gospel-centered, kingdom-advancing, God-glorifying lives that give you much cause for rejoicing, I'm quoting here, and much reason for confidence, as you say in the book. So what did you learn? What, what are the character traits that make for a gospel-bound believer? Well, so what we did is it actually kind of crystallized for me reading through the book of Romans. So I love Romans 12 in particular. I, mean, I don't know who couldn't, but I just love the concept of not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. And how all of this work of uh, Christ's work makes that possible for us to do, how we can honor everyone, how we can love our enemies. So a lot of the principles, actually all the principles are pulled from different aspects of of the book of Romans. So we show how gospel-bound Christians suffer with joy. We show how gospel-bound Christians will love their enemies. We show how gospel-bound Christians embrace the future because they know Christ is coming again soon. So they don't have to, they don't get, they don't get trapped in worry about trying to make this world, try to fix everything in this world, but actually they're motivated to fix things in this world because they know that Christ 
is coming back. They can live with hope in that. Of course, we look at the early church as martyrs when we talk about that. So we talk about them setting another seat, gospel-bound Christians set another seat at the table. That's about hospitality. Again, pulling all of these things, especially from Romans 12, but elsewhere, I just saw, saw these different commands brought together or encouragements brought together in the book of Romans with that theological foundation of the gospel. And then Sarah and I have been working for years on just telling, I'll put it this way, especially if you're, if you're in sort of reformed evangelicalism, like I am, you don't need to be told to criticize other people. It just comes with the territory. It just sort of emanates there. But it gives a very distorted perspective on what God's actually doing. And the Internet also kind of sets you up for that. It just, it, give, it just makes you want to criticize everybody and everything. So we wanted to use the journalism that we were both trained in at Northwestern to tell the stories that no one else was telling. The stories that, of, of, of extraordinary people, ordinary people, but just doing these things. So, yeah, that's the research. We, we worked together, Sarah and I, at Christianity Today. Again, we had both studied journalism at Northwestern. And so we, we just seize the opportunity to say, we can, we just want to see where God's working and just write about that and go back to that stuff. I said from Edwards, as people hear about that, they're going to pray and work for God, you know, to do that in their own environments. And so, yeah, it's been years and years of working on that together, but really fun for it to all come together in uh, 2020 and for, for come out in 2021. And as I said, this book is already out, so we encourage you um, listeners to go out and get your own copy. I'm sure, Colin, it's on Amazon and wherever <laughs> books are sold, right? That's true. <laughs> you can pick it up at the, the Gospel Coalition store. Store at thegospelcoalition.org is a good place to get it. We can usually sell um, stuff for cheaper than, than Amazon on select titles. But, yeah, wherever wherever you want to pick Perfect. it up. Came out from Multnomah. It's been a fun, fun process working with Multnomah for m- my first time with them on a Great. book. Great. Well, let's um, transition to talk about a second book that is set to come out at the end of this summer called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And this is also another co-author book, this time with Jonathan Lehman. So what is this book about and what is what was the impetus for it? Kristen, probably about five or six years ago, Jonathan, who Uh, works for Nine Marks as their editorial director out of the Washington, D.C. area, had wanted to write a book that is a basic introduction to people in your church to why am I here? What is this all about? What is the point of of church? Uh, The church that I worship in with Redeemer Community Church, led by many, many, many Beeson graduates, people come to our church from all different kind of backgrounds, and there's not a shared sense when they come in of, what am I supposed to expect in this place? So the book concept started out that way. It didn't quite get traction, though, until 2020. And in 2020, all of a sudden, we faced, I mean, you guys, Doug, especially, you're the historian here. I was asking Andy Crouch recently on my Gospel Bound podcast, what was the last time the church has been globally disrupted to this extent? compared to what we saw in 2020. I know this is going to sound hyperbolic, and I don't mean it to say it to be equivalent, but we both agreed it was the 14th century and the Black Plague. 
I mean, World War II obviously is more cataclysmic, things like that, but it didn't disrupt the church in some ways, in the same way, in terms of just the separation of people. So what clicked for us in the Rediscover Church concept was that a lot of people have drifted away from church, um, possibly, according to some statistics, up to a third of people. If that's even close to true, it is the biggest disruption that any of us will likely see in our lifetimes and in many, many, many previous lifetimes. And so we've got to get back to basics to explain to people why the body of Christ is essential and why virtual church, while I'm grateful for that, but it's better than nothing, is an oxymoron. Um, I, I can't think of too many places better than Basin Divinity School to talk and that are better prepared to train pastors who can preach, who can embody that kind of vision of why the gathered community is essential. So we're hoping that this gets in the hands of church leaders to give to members of their church or people who have drifted away from their church, it'll be out in the summer to say, hey, come on back. Virtual church is not gonna be an adequate replacement. You need it to worship Christ. I mean, the the church is going to be by far the the best tool that God has given you to be able to grow in this way, not just because of the information download that comes from the preachers, but because of the very community that's gathered, that that body of Christ. So we're we're excited about that book. It seems, I mean, we've we've got plans for, uh, coming out with Crossway. We have plans from Crossway and Nine Marks and the Gospel Coalition to release that book simultaneously in 17 different languages with translations um, and also for uh, online distribution for free um, in those languages as well. Um, Just to underscore the fact that we have not, we have not seen a global disruption of this nature. And it's not equal in all these places, but just in the extent of that disruption, it's amazing that whatever language we're talking in, people are saying this is a resource that we need because it's hitting you, whether in Albania or Alabama. I mean, it's just all over the place. I agree with you, Colin, that virtual church is an oxymoron. I, I want to get you to talk a little bit more about that, but partly because we preach that all the time here at Beeson. But I'm not trying to be selfish about this. I really want our listeners to understand what you mean by that yeah. and what difference thinking about that should make as we come back out of COVID. Yeah, I could... Uh... I could talk for too long about that concept. You know, I'm I'm grateful that when everything went haywire with the shutdown last year, that we had something to fall back on to be able to have some measure of uh, some measure of just contact with people. But if we've learned anything in the last year about virtual church, again. It's an oxymoron because the uh, there is an essential aspect of church, which of course, literally, ecclesia is the assembly. There is an essential nature of the gathering. Now, I don't even think, Doug, that you have to be a certain kind of sacramentalist in that theology to be true. It, it, it can help, um, but I don't. I think you can be a Baptist like me and still see that without the without the um, contextual gathering, the, the preaching for this particular group of people in this particular place with, with, and remember, and, and just 1 Corinthians 12 
enacted, the different giftings that are meant to be to be employed by the diverse body for one another. There's no hint in scripture that church is just about a sort of preaching performative act that we're all simply witnesses to, which basically is what virtual church becomes an entirely passive endeavor. I mean, I could, again, I could go on and on and on about this, but I think the basic concept is that God in his infinite wisdom has planned these assemblies for us as three-dimensional people of how we grow and how we change and how we serve. But what the internet does is it eliminates at least one of those dimensions. I mean, it eliminates some of the essential dimensions of our, of our life. And it basically then puts us in a position where we just opt in to things like we only engage on our terms the beautifully difficult thing about church is that it forces us to engage on other people's terms. And so the whole virtual concept that where everything revolves around me, well, how do you grow as a disciple in that context? How are you shaped in an environment that's set up for you to shape everything according to your, your wants and your needs? So again, I could go on and on about that, but I think in a place like Beeson that has been emphasizing for so long that kind of embodied education, I mean, our our pastors, our graduates should be well positioned to be able to show why the body of Christ is essential because they've seen that in their own education experience. So, I mean, I, I think Beeson's in good position. And I also would I haven't talked with you guys before about the educational experience. And again, I'm grateful for things that can plug the gaps for the time, but I have to think that it's made the embodied education experience that much more appreciated when we haven't been able to have it uh, and fully to the full extent. We agree completely. The trouble is uh, so many schools make it so easy for students to get their MDivs completely online right. that schools like ours, even though we try to be as up to date as we possibly can be, they, they seem a little old fashioned to people because yeah. we're not doing everything virtually. Well, I was I was just reading a book from another seminary uh, president. It was about it was about seminary. I was reading it last night. And he was talking about how they have the fully online MDiv and they have the residential uh, program. But he was still really pushing the residential program. Now, he was trying to argue simultaneously that they were equal and at the same time that the residential was preferable. Um, and I was a little bit inconsistent to be to, to talking about that. But one of the things that he said was a lot of people treat the online option as a reason not to jump in. They treat it as a reason to sort of dabble and to kind of build a seminary education around the periphery of their life. I think he made a pejorative comment about mom's basement or mom's zip code, I think in there of like, and I hadn't thought about that before. It comes back to discipleship. Discipleship is an, is an immersive experience. That's certainly how Jesus himself did it. Uh, The very incarnation itself, let alone the years of gathering his disciples around him. And so it's, if that's how Jesus modeled it, and that's how, I, I think we'd, just, we'd be very loath to just dismiss that altogether. And when I talk about people who've had profound transformative seminary experiences, it's always, there's always a community, a communal mm-hmm. dimension to it. There's always those relationships with professors and students. So you don't have to pay me at Beeson to advocate for that because it's what I absolutely believe. Um, 
And I think it's, and it's the best way to do it, if at all possible for students. So Colin, for those who want to learn more about Rediscover Church, is, can they find that on the TGC website as well? Yes. Uh, yeah, that, everything's there on, on Amazon. It's an August, August release, but yeah, stay tuned. We'll have those translations coming. We'll have audio versions coming. We'll have a chance uh, for, for you know, to be able to pick it up just online for free, but we expect probably the best way people will do it is to buy it in bulk and to send it to their members or hand it to their members. Using new member classes would be another example uh, for that, but um yeah, I, I just, I just can't imagine. I don't know, I don't know how many people are coming back, and I don't know how many people. I mean, the number of conversations I have with church leaders around the country, and the number of complications that I keep hearing about this reentry, it's that if, if church leaders think we can just get back to normal and reset the clock on 2019, it just, it just isn't there. Something fundamental has shifted, and it's shifted depending on your circumstance, but something's. Something's definitely changed, but yeah, you can pick it up those uh, a number of different places. Wonderful. Well, we want to um, allow you the opportunity to give us a little teaser about yeah. the course that you're teaching in January. Doug mentioned that you're you're going to be teaching a course, and it's called Cultural Apologetics. So talk to us about this course. What do you mean by this title, and what are your objectives? Yeah, I am so excited about this. So... Cultural apologetics is an emerging field. Uh, it's not some sort of brand new field, but I would call it an emerging field. And when you often think about apologetics, you're thinking about a rational defense of Christianity, proofs of Christianity, defenses, presuppositionalism, all those kinds of debates. But cultural apologetics is a bit of a more inductive exercise. It's more of working with the materials of, of, uh, of our culture, uh, philosophical analysis, sociological analysis, uh, literature, uh, pop culture, things like that, weaving those together to be able to help communicate and contextualize the gospel in your, in your teaching and in your preaching and in your discipleship uh, and in your evangelism, of course, as well. So it's not a surprise. I think one of the uh, most capable cultural apologists of our generation is Tim Keller, uh, one of my colleagues and, and mentors. And so a lot of what I've picked up uh, comes from him on this. But the, the basic concept and in, in what I've been trying to do at Doug's Invitation is be able to take Beeson's amazing historical and exegetical and theological doctrinal curriculum and bridge it to the ministry concerns of today. So we're going to be doing things in the class like walking people through a personal discovery of disenculturation. What I mean by that is pretty simple. We hear a lot about deconstructing, you know, these days in the church. Disenculturation is what missionaries do. What in my life and my practice of my faith do I, do I need to maintain as a Christian? What should I dismiss as being not Christian? And what's neutral, depending on the culture? So I want to help prospective ministers to work through that process because you've got to be able to do that even now domestically. You're just not going to walk into some sort of ready-made culture. You're going to have to be discerning about that. I'm going to ask students to write a, a theological vision of ministry for their church. You've got your confession over here. You've got your programs and your practices, but how do you connect? 
the two. How do you get from one to the other? Rick Lentz at Gordon, uh, Gordon Conwell has a great kind of perspective on what it means to do theological vision. I want uh, the students to write you know, collaboratively to work on a, a new catechism for the post-Christian West. So engaging issues that didn't come up in previous catechisms, but that need to be addressed for today. Um, and I want the students also to write a, you know, a brief engagement with what they regard to be the most difficult challenge to Christianity. It's one of my favorite questions, Kristen, to ask on my, on my podcast, ask evangelists and apologists, what do you think is the most difficult aspect of Christianity? I remember asking David Platt that, and he, he started and he said, oh, that, that, that uh, my Savior would die for such a woeful sinner as me. And I was like, oh, come on, David. You know, like what it was the hardest. He's like, when I'm going to Nepal and there's a child who's 10 years old and suffering incredibly and has never heard from Jesus and is going to be judged eternally in hell. And I said, okay, now we're talking. So that's what we're going to try to do in the class is, is take all of this amazing theology and things that they've learned and try to put it into practice personally and also in how they minister to others in a contemporary sphere and employ a lot of different sort of sociological um, and historical and cultural analysis to be able to do that. So if any students are listening and you're interested in that, let's uh, sign up and we'll have a fun couple of weeks in January. Super. Thanks very much, Colin, for agreeing to do that with us. It's going to be great. You know, Colin, you've been on this show before. We like to end uh, our interviews with guests by asking them what the Lord's been teaching them recently. And uh, so I ask you in your in your walk with God, in your prayer life, in your devotional time, anything that the Lord's been teaching you that might be worth passing along to our listeners by way of building them up in the faith? I get a chance through my work to to talk with and to learn from and to collaborate with a number of just successful and godly examples of Christian leaders. But the one thing that really holds true for, for leaders who are truly successful in the kingdom of God is, is humility. And that sounds obvious and I'm not meaning to flatter here, but it's true one of the reasons I love Beeson is because of how my heart resonates with the example of humble leadership that Timothy George displayed for so long. And that Doug, you continue in your leadership. I don't, I don't take that for granted. I don't assume that that's normative everywhere. It just isn't. Um, but it makes a huge difference in a church, in a seminary. And I don't think it comes very naturally to me in my flesh, uh, and but Christ continues to call me back with those examples, with role models like you. It was uh, 2007 when I first uh, took a audited your your class on 19th century Protestant thought in America, and and that was how I made a decision about going to seminary myself, uh, coming to study there at Trinity, and just having examples like that in the faith. Unfortunately, we've never been more exposed to bad examples of Christian leadership. It's everywhere you look. It's, it's staring you in the face. You can't avoid it. And so being taken back to those, those friends and those colleagues who show you how to humbly walk with God 
is a blessing that I don't want to take for granted and that I want to be able to pass along myself despite the fact that my flesh, um, you know, wars against that. Um, and it doesn't seem to get easier. It seems to get harder as, as you know, harder with time. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful for a number of examples. You, Doug, uh, uh, Dr. George, um, Tim Kell and others like that who have just really shown that to me over the years. John Woodbridge, of course, give a shout out to our friend John as well. Just grateful for that. And God's always been kind to me in that way. Thanks, Colin. Listeners, you have been listening to Colin Hansen, Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief for the Gospel Coalition, dear friend of ours here at Beeson Divinity School. We are grateful to you, Colin, for this gift of your time with us today. And we're grateful to you, our dear listeners, for tuning in. Please continue to pray for us as we make our way out of the COVID epidemic and try to do our part in building up the churches in our area. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes.